This episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast is brought to you by Cedic Run. Located in downtown Grand Forks, Cedic Run is an awesome place for you to get all of your running needs. Whether you are in cross country and you need a new pair of trainers or a pair of spikes for the racing season, whether you're training for a fall marathon, need your accessories or whatever you need to have a successful buildup, or maybe you're just into running fashion. You want some cool looking shoes, some awesome apparel, you know, the crewnecks, hoodies, you name it. SDR's got it, and they've got a great selection. And not only is it an awesome place for you to be a customer, but it's also a place for you to plug in and feel like a part of the running community. You know, if you're around on Thursday nights, they have an awesome rhombus run where they meet at the shop, they go for a run or a walk, all ages, all abilities, and then afterwards get together, have some community, uh, and just enjoy each other's company. Oftentimes, you'll find that they're doing a Saturday run somewhere during cross-country season. It's a little bit busy. And they have so many other great events, races, you name it. So be sure that you're on the lookout for that. Also be on the lookout. There's no date yet, but the final You Betcha Ice Cream pop-up shop at Cedic Run, that'll be coming up sometime this fall. So have your social media, your calendar open, wherever you can find that information. Uh, probably best on Cedic Run social media, but be sure that you're on the lookout for that because that's going to be a great event as well. All that and more at Cedic Run, located in downtown Grand Forks. On this episode of the podcast, we finally got to sit down with University of Jamestown's new director of track and field and cross country, Jarvis Jellent. He's been one that's been on our list of guests, uh, potential guests for a really long time. We finally got the chance to kind of track him down amidst the busy start to the cross country season. He just got back from taking his crew to the Augustana Twilight this past weekend. And so we picked his brain about that, the current climate of the team, but we also tested him a little bit, like his running theory. Uh, you know, every distance coach is different. We wanted to hear his approach to training. So he gave so much good wisdom there, talked about his experience and the all the other different opportunities he's had that have shaped him as a runner. All in all, it was just a really good conversation. And when Cam and I were done, Cam told me, he said, I think I could have talked to that guy for like another hour and a half. So this episode is already long. Uh, if you need to break it up into segments or chunks, you go for it. However, you got to tackle the whole thing, but you don't want to miss out. This is a phenomenal episode. Jarvis is a great guy, and we're excited that there's somebody uh, with his caliber and his capabilities and his background as a D1 coach at an NAIA school in North Dakota like Jamestown. So if you're a high schooler listening to this or you're a college student and you're interested, uh, you know, keep Jamestown on your radar because they're going to be on the up and up the next few years. Thank you so much for listening. We always appreciate all of your support. Continue to like our posts on social media. It's the best way for us to get the word out. Uh, and we're keeping you updated the best we can on cross-country season. So that was so much. Thank you so much for listening. And without further ado, let's dive into the latest episode of the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Prairie Track and Field Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Enerson. And I'm your other host, Cameron Rail. And today we're super excited. We've got a coach on the podcast. Doesn't happen a whole lot, but we're with Jarvis Jellen. Uh, Jarvis is the current University of Jamestown Director of Track and Field and Cross Country. Prior to that, he was at Abilene Christian, where he was the head cross country coach. Has had a multitude of stops uh, even prior to that. But most importantly, he's a Midwest guy from Sioux Falls and 
Jarvis, we're super excited to have you here on the podcast. Appreciate it. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So tell us a little bit behind the legendary name. Like, how did you get the name Jarvis? Because before you taking this job, I don't think I'd ever heard of or met another Jarvis before. That's a fair question. Um, so honestly, my dad, there there were a couple people that he came across with the name. One of them, there was a Minnesota Twins player that had that name. And I think that was the primary place he heard it first. He just liked the name and and I'm his oldest child and, and that's what he named me. So um, it doesn't have anything more than that, that they heard it and they liked it. But I had the baseball card of that guy. Um, I don't have it anymore, but the guy that I was named after, sort of named after. Yeah. So, I mean, you mentioned oldest of how many, what, what sort of family did you, uh, grow up, uh, grow up with? Yeah. So oldest of four, um, it was myself and then two sisters. And then my brother who is now the head cross country coach at Sioux Falls Lincoln, he is about 10 years younger than me. So, um, I was waiting and waiting for a brother and eventually got one. It's just a pretty, pretty long wait, but yeah. Brother is a coach. You're a coach sisters also in the track and field cross country sphere so they are my they still do some running and and they've um raced and things like that um still still into it that way but not in the coaching realm or anything but i kind of got us all started down that path um being the eldest my parents my dad was a wrestler in in minnesota and he ran cross country a little bit but like didn't finish high school doing that it wasn't his main thing by any stretch um my mom did a little track um but it wasn't her main thing basketball was hers and um so we were involved in a lot of sports my siblings and I in in Sioux Falls and um we were my sisters and I primarily were getting really into soccer um and I got us down the path of running kind of and eventually we all left soccer and um I we my sister both my sisters and I were all at Sioux Falls Lincoln at the same time. I was a senior, one was a junior and the other was a freshman. So we had all three of us together at one time and then Luke came later. And then my, I went on to run college and then all my siblings ended up running college as well. So um, I got us going and then we were kind of hooked and became much more of a running family. So was there like one moment that you remember where you got hooked onto running? Like if it was soccer all the way, where was the spark that made you switch? Yeah. I mean, I don't think there was a moment, but even just when I started in high school, uh, it was, it, I did it in, in elementary school at the physical fit, president's physical fitness test. When you used to have that, I, I was very competitive with that and the mile, I was good at the mile and um, I was good in middle school in Sioux Falls. We just ran like, the middle school dual meets against each other. And then a city meet with all the middle schools, mile and a half races, like really no training at all. So it wasn't fun. Then <laughs> I was good at it, but it, without training races are not fun. Um, and then, so coming into high school, I, I did join cross. I was definitely into running. I did, I did some other stuff too at first, but right away, I mean, cross country was different than everything else. The, the way that the upperclassmen like, took me in and um just like the the camaraderie there and I don't know I always liked to challenge and I liked the training aspect of of other sports I like to push myself on a daily basis so I like that aspect anyway and and then add in the the camaraderie and just the family atmosphere of cross country and track and 
Um, so that was a lot of it. Um, my coach in a lot of the connections, I could go for a long time about all my connections here and um, and just with running in the region. But my high school coach was Mark Greeno, um, who the legendary Raleigh Greeno here at Jamestown. Um, Mark was his nephew. And I was really close with Rich Greeno too, Mark's dad. And that was Raleigh's brother. Um, and Mark was just, he was amazing at building the joy of running and the love of the sport into people. Um, our team was massive. We had, we always had over a hundred people on the team, um, just like in cross country. Um, and he just like really, his big thing was, was not necessarily, he pushed back a little bit against the, he ran for his dad in Lincoln when they were they won like a decade straight state titles and it's one of the dynasties of all time in South Dakota um since I was his dad and they they were really serious back then like he pushed back a little bit against that his style wasn't that um but what he was really good at is um just to get people to to love outdoors to love trails to love running and to become lifelong runners and um though his style you know, got us all, it, it worked and um, got us hooked. And um, eventually I realized like I'm much better at running than I am at soccer and other things too. So um, I didn't finish out soccer or anything else by my senior year. I was just cross country and track. Um, I was doing some things at the same time. I, I always ran cross country and track, but um, I just started to become, as I got further into high school, started to become obsessed. And I would say too obsessed <laughs> with the sport. Um, I just lived on back then like die stat online and like the, the message boards and things like that. And it was just like, let's run message boards and things in high school. It was like, that's all there was. And I was connecting with every serious runner I could and just way into all the prefontaine stuff and just like voraciously reading anything I could get my hands on that had to do with the sport. Um, like nonfiction learning biographies, exercise science, um, everything. I just like, I spent a lot more time and energy focused on that than I did actual school. Um, <laughs> I would just be sitting in school reading running books or exercise science books instead of like focusing on actual high school. So, um, yeah, anyway, I just became like a massive, um, very, just very passionate about the sport and passionate about the running community. I, I really loved and continued, have continued to love just growing the sport and being involved in conversations and being involved in um, like community races and, and community events and things like that. And that's something that the Greenos really, it was easy to get involved with that stuff because Rich Greeno especially was just like, he started all the, all the running culture in Sioux Falls in a lot of ways. He spurred it on, at least he put on all these free, he put on free track meets at Lincoln in the summer. He put on free road races and I would run as many races as I could and help out and get to know everyone from the other teams. And um, yeah, I just, I knew I was going to be involved in the sport and I knew I was going to coach in it someday. Um, I was hoping to have some kind of professional running career because of injuries that kind of side of things didn't really pan out, but, um, but all this led to me coaching as a career. So. Going back to kind of, you were talking about how you were just taking in all this like information running the cult. What do you think one of the most like formative books or things that you read early on was for you? 
Uh, I mean, honestly, I think early on it was just the, I, I like, I loved to plan and imagine where I could, where I could be in the sport, um, like what I could do in training and, and where I could be in the sport and like the, the legend and the lore of it kind of and the history yeah. of it. So actually just like biographies and, and things like that. And like people's stories of their, their training and their development um, and, you know, from a team sense books like running with the buffaloes and yes, and yeah. some four and things like that both came out around that time chris lear's stuff was just really awesome because you get the inside look and in, into team the team aspect of it and yeah. um it was i really enjoyed learning about it as well but i think it was just the spark of passion and excitement that that was probably most formative yeah i i mean running with the buffaloes was huge for me too when i when i first started to like really enjoy running and uh yeah i don't know it's just it's uh it's very unique uh i think people who have that like same sort of experience as you and i um uh, i don't know it's very you you don't it doesn't happen by accident you know yeah. it's not like the nfl where it's just like oh i know where games are like you gotta you gotta look for it and you gotta be able to like find it on your own and stuff like that and um, but yeah, like cross country and distance running is like, you're saying like racing is not fun if you're not training. Uh, yeah. and so early on when people get started, there has to be some sort of like culture or camaraderie or your, you know, a book or something that goes along with the running to really like spark your interest and like desire and stuff like that. And, uh, I have a brother who's, uh, nine years younger than me. He's, he's a freshman in college now. And yeah, just over the last couple of years, kind of seen him kind of find that, uh, part of running. And obviously it changes from generation to generation. Uh, for me, it was like, uh, flow track was, was like huge. Um, mm -hmm. it was kind of yep. like peak flow track. And then I was still like reading like runner's world magazine and stuff like that. And, uh, but, but for him now it's, uh, uh honestly, I don't even know what it is for him, but you know, <laughs> Flowtrack's yeah, taking a step backwards. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Now it's every runner has a vlog on YouTube, right? Yeah. So, yeah. So Jarvis, after you had a great career uh, in high school, three state titles, you ended up going to Liberty University, which is, you know, kind of a big jump for somebody from the Midwest to go out to Virginia. But I also saw kind of a fun tidbit. You were on the Big South's all decade cross country team. Just tell us a little bit about behind that and like your college experience, because it sounds like just from going through your stats and accolades that it was a pretty good one. Yeah, um, I I was a big dreamer and I I, I didn't do a, we didn't have a we had a kind of a low volume program in high school and I, I did more on my own and I went to lots of running camps and I would throw in massive weeks in the summer when I went to running camps and things like that. So I had some experience with um, with running more. And I wasn't afraid of it. I, I wanted that challenge. I wanted to go somewhere where they, I, I was drawn to like the coaches who in the recruiting process, like I, I wasn't scared away. Like we want you to run hundred miles a week. Do you think you can handle that or something? It was like, yeah, I want to run as much as possible and um, push my boundaries and test my limits and everything. And um, so I actually went my freshman year to Augustana college, now university with Tracy Hellman, who's still there. Um, still close with Tracy and have helped out at their camp um, after that. And um, it turned out to not be the best fit for me um, team and university at the time. 
um, in the recruiting process in other, before I chose Augie, um, I was looking at Liberty. Um, Josh McDougall, who got fourth at Foot Locker and was one of the best runners in the country in high school at the time, um, he had, once he signed there, then I kind of started to look into it. Um, was looking at a Christian school and saw that, you know, it, it they had a pretty good program before, but it wasn't anything special. But seeing Josh and his brother Jordan sign there um, piqued my interest. Um, seemed like a cool part of the country to be in and train in. Lots of trails and just beautiful nature. And that's I was drawn to that as well. That's the kind of place I wanted to go. Um, so I, I became really close with Josh um, in their high school recruiting process. Didn't end up going there, but when I was looking to transfer, I wasn't really looking anywhere other than potentially Liberty because um, I had stayed really close with Josh and I knew exactly what I was getting into if I went there. Um, I didn't want to just go somewhere else and then maybe not fit again, not have it be a good fit. So um, I ended up taking an official visit to Liberty and it was the team was great and, and young and hungry and um, it was an exciting time to kind of be coming in there. So um, and they had the kind of culture that I was looking for and so long story short, ended up transferring there for the rest of my time, um, had an amazing experience. And honestly, the my running experience there was very formative to who I am as a runner and who I am as a coach. Um, ran with Josh McDougall, lived with him, ran with Sam Chalango, lived with him, um, just with and, and a bunch of other elite guys that were drawn to Josh. And, um, and Josh was a, a really like, running community kind of guy. Um, he knew a lot of people. He, he, as a young guy, like he was one of the top guys that he was at Foot Locker, things like that. He, um, was at like us junior cross country worlds. And, and so he like knew a lot of people. Um, and I was really close with him and his brother. They live in upstate New York, like right across the Lake Champlain from Burlington, Vermont, right by Quebec, amazing training environment up there. Um, and they would kind of do like a little training camp each summer for with just a bunch of like elite guys who knew Josh and his parents like to host so they would invite people um to to stay with him for a bit in the summer so we'd have guys I'd go there um at least for the last few weeks of summer every year and then we'd come down to um Liberty after that but um not only the the training with the guys in at Liberty but like we'd have um multiple All-Americans at um at the McDougal's training together. Um, at the time, Stuart Egan, he was running for Wisconsin. Um, he was really close with Josh. He was out there with us a couple times and, and Sam was out there with us and Josh and Jordan. Um, Christo Landry, um, an All-American and went on to like do a bunch of road racing from William & Mary. He was out there um, with us training and, and living. And um, then we had uh, one time we actually, this is kind of an interesting little tidbit. Um, I'm blanking on his name right now, but he became the mayor of Minneapolis. Um, he oh, ran for Hansons. Yeah. Um, yeah, he was yeah. out there for like a couple days one time too. <laughs> no way. Uh, so like we just had, we had all kinds of people um, out there. And so I got exposed not only to like the training that we were doing, which Josh, I'll talk about that, legendary for his training um, and his consistency and, and the stuff he did. But like the Wisconsin guys at the time, you know, there were a bunch of guys running 120 miles a week and um, like 100 to 120 was pretty normal. And and then Josh um, at William & Mary, Christo felt like he was like the lower mileage guy. And he Gibby was there at the time, Alex Gibby, who's at Harvard now. 
Um, but they, a lot of those guys were doing the same really, really high volume, just working really hard. And I, I was drawn to that just doing as much as I could pretty much, but Josh, um, his kind of claim to fame, he was pretty big on the internet at that time because he would share his logs and it wasn't so, um, common to, we didn't have Strava. So like people didn't see training unless you were on a blog or shared your log or whatever. And Josh was very open with what he did. So see you might have a question here so i'll let you I was, go i was just gonna say like this is like pre-strava like, yeah sharing pre pre garmin yeah. pre-strava so like we were just estimating our stuff so i mean some of our like legendary training who knows i mean we had some mile markers on some things we did and we knew some routes but like i'm just gonna keep imagining that i i think we were doing what we thought we were doing because we did test it on some places but it was pretty crazy <laughs> for, yeah. especially for me it was crazy but um so yeah go ahead josh josh is legendary because um he had a singles not doubles like philosophy and and i haven't met anyone period on any level that a did more and more consistently in singles and and b did it for longer and more consistently than josh did i haven't heard of anyone so he he went from freshman year he went four years at liberty um, running almost every week over 130 miles a week in singles. Um, so he was a metronome. And before I got there, we had this before, like, um, we started living off campus and going out to this other single track trail. We had this hilly dirt road that was like just an out and back route. It was really hilly. It was like red clay dirt. And he would be the type of guy who would run 135 miles in singles on one road back and forth the whole week. He just, he just loved, like he would just work and it was, it ended up being his undoing, um, at the end of college. Um, he, another thing about those guys is everyone forgets Josh. Like they start to forget Sam, like no one remembers Josh, but people don't know Galen Rupp. So I like to bring up that Josh and Galen both beat or Josh and Sam both beat Galen to win NCAA cross during my time at Liberty. Um, they beat Galen multiple times to win NCAA so people then are like oh i I understand what kind of level they were at um but josh ended up getting a nike contract and and he went pro but um had a bunch of injury things and psychological things related to the injury getting out of it um and it never ended up panning out but his undoing was that he was good with with the volume he was doing that the whole time he was everything was great but he wanted more he like you're at the point where you're like I got to find a way to keep progressing. And so he started adding in a bunch of extra like strength training and stuff like that. And just got all out of whack. And, and just, there was no one like really holding him back enough from like doing all this other stuff outside of all the running, which the running was, was going well and successful, but um, you know, he reached his limit. He like, he kind of found his limits there, but um, anyway, to try to wrap that up, you said going to rabbit trail. I'm good at rabbit trails. Um, but to try to wrap that up. So like the, all the guys I trained with and especially Josh opened my mind up and myself up doing what I did as an athlete, um, trying to keep up with those guys. Um, in that, like our limits as a coach, like we can, I feel like there's a lot of coaches and a lot of programs because they haven't experienced it themselves as a runner, or they weren't around other people who did it have a lot of fear over preconceived numbers. 
Um, so like, I'm not saying that every, every distance, like I'm going to have everyone on our team run 130 miles a week or something, but a hundred miles a week, 80 miles a week, 25 mile long runs, 10 mile long runs, whatever. Like they're all just arbitrary numbers. Um, I don't feel the need to hold people back based on what other people think is too much or whatever. Like my goal for, for athletes is to help them develop, but to also help them thrive. But I don't think it's mutually exclusive to be running high volume or to be doing, pushing our boundaries and, and, and not still be able to thrive. I think that we can, we don't have to grind through that. I think that we can enjoy, like people might not believe it, but I think you, I, the thing that I take away from my time as an athlete is not, I love racing, by the way, racing is awesome. Um, and I'm a competitor, but like, it's the training, it's the, the shared experience of like suffering with teammates and stuff and like the day-to-day training in different places and finding trails and pushing our limits and stuff like just being exhausted at the end of every day is the best feeling to me. Um, and I miss that. And I, I think that there's a lot of value in doing that and not, and and like, you know, people need to be individualized and and everyone's not going to be doing the same thing. But um, at the end of the day, like, I don't necessarily have a a fear with pushing some boundaries and, and testing limits. And I think there's bigger value in our sport outside of just running fast. And that's what we preach all the time. And I've always preached. So um, if we test our limits, then we can, and and we do big things together, do hard things together, then we can um, find a lot more value in the sport than if we are always like super conservative, if we're always um, just limiting people, A, limiting what they can do in training, and then B, limiting their potential to develop. Um, I also, along with not trying to limit what they can do in training, I try to, um, I, I believe it starts with the coach. I believe most people are capable of really massive development and distance running, especially. Um, And I think if we don't believe as coaches that they can do big things and we don't know how to get them there, or if one of those pieces are missing, there's no chance or there's limited chance that it'll happen. It could happen, but I think we can make it happen on a really consistent basis across the board in our program. If we have big aspirations, but we really believe it, Um, you have to, really believe it so now there's a a lot of hype right now around the double threshold especially coming off of worlds the inga britson's kind of popularizing that are you still a singles guy or do you buy into doubles what's kind of your philosophy there yeah that's a great question so i so basically a few years ago now um i it feels kind of weird now because of how much hype there is with double threshold but I actually like kind of found that stuff a few years ago and we started doing it at ACU and found pretty massive success in it. Um, I had been going down that road already um, because of a lot of the stuff that I was trying to be creative with and a lot of the individualization we were doing and my belief in aerobic development and, and threshold running anyway, I started to experiment more with um, uh, like micro workouts at a higher frequency. Um, I started already like adding more doubles and things like that and adding more focused running to more runs instead of doing one like massive session, we started doing a lot more focused running, a lot more like threshold type stuff and mechanical type stuff more often. 
Um, so when that, when I started to look into that, it, before there was a bunch of like hype behind it and stuff, it made a lot of logical sense to me. Um, so I, I did start incorpor incorporating that and, and found a lot of success with it in the way we did it. I had, I don't go and just take the Inga Breston's training and like, just plop it onto our plate. Uh, I took where we were at as a program and we had kind of built to the point where, where we could do some of that. And, and I don't take what NAU does either because they do some massive things that our team couldn't do. Um, but I, I did find a lot of value in double T and in more doubles. And, and I feel like where I've gotten to with, a lot of doubles and seeing value in that and a lot of like double workouts and stuff um, for different um, groups I coach and different teams and things, different individuals. I feel like if I, as someone who like had the total singles or bust background, if I had this like high volumes, I was completely bought in through probably the first few years of my coaching. It was singles. or If you do a double, like you're just wasting your time. Like it, it's all about singles. We have to go as long as we can every day and every workout and everything's got to be like so long. Um, I feel like if I can come to the place where I've come to, people can't say like, oh, well, you're just you're just hopping on the bandwagon because like and you're, you're just always been waiting to doubles. Like I had to be convinced um, I'm a logical person and I like to lead my coaching by logic, um, whether I'm coaching the distance runners or whether I'm trying to develop the program across the board in different event groups. Um, I like to start with logic. So things have to make sense to me and they, I have to make sure they make sense to the athlete. I want the athlete to be like, Oh, this is logical. And I have to digest it for them um, and give it back to them in a way that's logical. Um, and so I found, I, I found a lot of logic in, in incorporating this stuff. And then I started to see really positive results and I'm always looking for, ways we can change and adapt and and because of my background i'm open to new ideas and innovation and i i don't like to um necessarily and now it's like popular but i was starting to do some of this stuff when it wasn't and so like it was something that was a little riskier or wasn't like the norm um went outside the box and i like to try to think outside the box as much as i can and, and find new ways to develop people and new ways to think about things and um, yeah, I'm always, I'm always looking to find new ideas and, and like my main, my main purpose in our program and in how I think about distance running is, is pretty similar to when I started, but the way I apply it is quite a bit different. Um, I'm definitely one of the coaches that would say, I look back on my old coaching years ago and I'm like, man, like I feel bad because they have a much better experience now. Than they did then, but I had to work through that because if I didn't work through that, I wouldn't be so sure. I wouldn't be so confident in what we do. And then I, if I don't portray that confidence to the athletes, then they don't buy in. If I don't have data, I try to give data to recruits and data to athletes and not just, I don't just talk. I try not to just talk to get people to buy in or just say, just buy in because I said so. Um, I try to give them a lot of data, a lot of background. So then they, I found that people very quickly buy in and and then they very quickly develop if you have a bunch of fact to give them and data to support it. Um, and yeah, I've seen I've seen a lot of good stuff to, to make me confident in some of this over the years. For sure. So that's kind of like the running philosophy side of things. How about the culture? Um, yeah. I'm familiar that you have a phrase, uh, send it for the culture. 
Um, <laughs> tell us, tell us a little bit about that side of things and how that developed throughout your time. Yeah. Um, so that I would say to touch on that phrase, um, and if any ACU people end up um, listening to this, there's a couple people that will be pretty excited that you brought that up. Um, because like one of the culture is super important to me. If you spend any time, I'm, I'm big on what is now X. We'll just call it Twitter though. Um, <laughs> over the years, I, um, got more and I challenged myself more and more to like, accept, accept podcast requests or interview requests or speaking engagements, even though I, I like really don't like speaking in public. I don't like speaking in large groups. I don't mind this kind of stuff, but um, I just, I, I told myself years ago, actually, when I kind of accepted the ACU job about seven and a half years ago or when I, I said, like, if someone asked me, I, I just need to say yes. So if someone asked me to speak, I'll say yes. If someone asked me, whatever. Um, and along with that, I, I didn't used to put a lot out there on social media. I used to be kind of uh, um, just private, I guess, about what we did in our program, whether it's culture, or whether it's um, training or whatever. It's just, I just, just insecure about what we did. And, um, it, you know, it's, it's a lot to like put yourself out there to other coaches that you respect and things. I have individual conversations as I got comfortable with people, but it takes, it takes a lot of courage to like start just giving everyone what you do and, and different elements of what you do and, and opening yourself up to judgment and people disagreeing with that. But, um, over the years, I got a little more open to like, you know, I love connecting with other people and I love the running community. And if I don't put myself out there, then I can't find other people who will connect with this, whether it's other uh, coaches or other um, to just be friends with or get mentors or other recruits. Um, and COVID did a lot of it for me. Um, there was this thing that was started called Coaches Collab, and it was like a lot of um, college coaches mainly and like Zoom calls and things like that. And I I, around that time, being outside of the team for a little bit and like wanting a way to develop as a coach and share ideas and also grow as a coach and challenge myself, I was involved with a lot of those conversations. And then I started to just say like, okay, I'm just going to go on Twitter and I'm just going to start like giving my thoughts on, I love culture and culture is a super important um, thing to me. So that's a big part of what I started to talk about. Um, a little bit training, but a lot culture side. Um and I just started to throw stuff out there. And what I found was that I could find, yeah, there there were people that disagreed, but I found and made a lot of really close friends, especially high school coaches that were like, that I that I never would have been friends with that now I'm, I feel pretty close with. And um, I'm like, man, we really connect. We connect um, in how we see the intersection of like um, Christian faith and, and coaching and and running and training and culture and all this stuff. And like, um, the more I found those people, the more encouraging it was for me and encouraging we could be to each other. And it, it's not always that easy to find. I feel like I'm I'm kind of a an all outside the box guy. And so like I'm usually not around people that I necessarily connect really deeply with. That's not as easy for me to find. I don't um, see myself as like fitting in the kind of like normal mold. Um, and, and I've been in programs where I'm the only distance coach the whole time too. So like just being a distance coach too, um, I had a hard time. Like I would be so super excited about talking about stuff and I'd have no one that shared that excitement. So it was cool to like find, find these other people, um, on Twitter, especially and, and start connecting with other people through just putting myself out there. But, um, one of the big things about culture and developing culture that I think is huge. And this applies, this goes into me 
um, not only being a um, the nuts and bolts of being like a, a distance coach, but being a director, um, culture is something that I can affect um, as the head of the cross country and track program. Um, and it's, it's giving the athletes information, teaching the athletes really well and building the athletes up so that they take ownership of the program um, from a culture sense and that so they know what they're doing um, from a, a training sense so that they can have more input in things and we can work together more and collaborate more. And so that like at the end of the day, if I go um, or, or if I'm gone in the off season or whatever, that they know what they're doing and they know why they're doing it and they can, they can put their own spin on things. And um, I've had athletes at ACU, especially I had a couple of athletes that um, had a huge impact on my progression as a coach, because they took something that we, they, they understood the philosophy of like why we we're doing what they were doing, why we we're doing what we do. And they took it in a different direction that I didn't expect, or they progressed their volume or, or did some things way quicker than I wanted them to, to be honest, but I let them do it because I like to spark and encourage passion. Um, and someone who like will potentially let people make mistakes, do things that, that other coaches may be like, no, you have to curtail that. You have to stop them from doing that, from progressing that fast or whatever. But I've ended up finding, wow, some people can progress quicker than I thought. Some people can do this kind of off the wall thing that I didn't think they could do. Um, and, and I saw that as an athlete with my teammates and I saw that with myself. And then I started to see it as a coach and then take some of that and say like, okay, we have people that can do this different thing, or we have people that can progress a little quicker, or we have people that can, can, um, think about things differently. How can we incorporate that to the whole team or how can we incorporate that to part of the team? But, um, to circle back to your original question, um, putting the culture and the development of the culture on the athletes that send it for the culture thing was totally like athletes at ACU just coming up with their own, their own things, their own things that I'm like, that's awesome. Yeah. You, you run with that. And like, um, and, and that's kind of our culture of like pushing boundaries and seeing what we can do. And whether it's in the culture or it's in the training or whatever, and just um, not being afraid and, and recognizing that, like, even if we make mistakes and even if, even if sometimes injuries happen, I'm never trying, I want people to stay healthy. I don't want anyone to hear me wrong here. Like I want people to thrive. And, and we do, I, I have very high expectations of lifestyle stuff and really a high amount of teaching and expectations when it comes to um, mobility and posture work and um, just stuff that can make us better athletes and keep us healthier and help us to feel better and handle more load. Um, so like along with that though, if people are doing that stuff and I think, yeah, they, they're yeah, sleep is magic. Like, like if college kids go and sleep 12 hours a night, I've seen some people do insane things in training and feel amazing like make massive jumps in training because they were like, I want to do a lot of training. And I know I've been taught now in this program that it, if I want to do a lot of training, I have to back it up with a massive, I have to back it up with extreme amounts of sleep and extreme amounts of consistency on, on lifestyle stuff and extreme commitment there. So like I've had people just, just take that and run with it. And like, it, it's, it's not, it's even like send it for the culture even means like that. It's like, I'm going to sleep more than every other team out there. 
and that's going to be our culture and stuff. <laughs> and it's, so like, I try to just challenge people to like come up with their own unique ways to like, how can we do things differently? How can we push boundaries? How can you guys teach me about like ways in which maybe I can get my mind opened as a coach. And then I try to, um, as I come in as a director here and, and dealing with uh, a big staff that I, I, I've spent my whole career um, as a, as a distance coach in charge of the distance runners with no, no assistance at all, no volunteer assistance, no anything. It's just been me and a bunch of, bunch of runners. So we've had our own culture and we've, we've done that stuff, but now I'm trying to learn how to apply that to um, our staff as well. And, and try to have some, it's really important to me that we have some uniqueness in, in as a, as a big staff and as a big track and field program with different event areas that like, we don't look homogeneous completely because we're totally different people. And a, a throws culture is different than a distance culture. It's different than a sprints culture, whatever. So I want to encourage that. But also, how do we find those threads that run? What what things do I make sure that like I I kind of keep charge over that? Like, you no, know, these things about our culture have to be unified and we have to have these threads running through but then these other areas of the way that plays out is going to be different. So I'm still learning and growing on how to like um, have our coaches on the staff, like take that and run with it and, and do those, those common things across the event groups, but then, then ways in which I give them freedom to say, like come up with your own unique ways and how that plays out. And, and whether that's a culture thing or whether that's obviously it's a training thing, we're going to train way differently and we're going to need different needs to, to thrive and we're going to need different facilities to thrive and things like that. Definitely. Now you had a phenomenal career at ACU as the head cross country coach, won a conference title while you were there, had a lot of great finishes. Uh, maybe when did you start looking at the UJ job? Uh, and then what about Jamestown was really appealing for you when uh, you were going through that process? Yeah, that's, that's a very good question. Um, I, there were so many things like I, I loved ACU. I love my time at ACU and I, it was really, really hard to think about leaving because primarily because of the culture I was like, we put a lot of work in myself and the team to, to turn things around and to move the culture in a certain direction. It was really challenging. First few years, we had a lot of things to work through um, and we had a lot of changes to make to have the culture be one in which um, was imaged after the way I wanted it to be. Um, and I was just like, so happy. I, I loved being around the team and, and I felt like they loved being around each other, which was the goal. And they were really self-sufficient and everything. So it was hard to think about leaving. That being said, my long-term vision, someone who loves to build program, like to, to look at the future, to build culture was to expand outside of just being a, a cross country coach, just being a distance coach. Um, I always had the vision of taking over as like a director of a, a whole cross country and track program to be able to impact a culture on a broader sense and just take things even further. Use I love being creative in, in building culture and recruiting and stuff and like just being able to expand that vision bigger um, and kind of have no boundaries. Cause as a, cross-country coach at the D1 level, especially, it can work differently in, in other divisions. But at the D1 level, at the end of the day, in almost all programs, a cross-country coach is not is under the track coach. And the way the scholarships work and everything, at the end of the day, the cross-country coach doesn't call the shots. And 
it's um i was very happy with the the place i was in from it wasn't it's not an an ego thing that i wanted to be a director it's more of a creative thing that like i was kind of bursting with like ideas and creativity and ways that i wanted to um take things in different directions and stuff like that and so that it was more like wanting to expand um what i could do like um as i have been in this role as a director at uj it has been really exciting i'm like i have this idea let's do it i have this idea let's do it and and i can just decide and do it um and as a cross-country coach i did have a lot of freedom at acu to build my own unique culture and i'm very thankful for that but that has limitations at the end of the day i still have to work within the boundaries of what our track program looks like and what the priorities of our track program are which don't always align with the priorities of um, the two people and the way they see things are not going to perfectly align and that's okay and i was okay with that but um but i wanted some freedom to expand so looking at this opportunity in particular um cam and i kind of talked touched on some of the connections and and that's and i touched on as well some connections like i just had so much random history with this area in this place like from growing up going to crystal springs camp just down the road and and still coming there occasionally um even from texas with my family we go to family camp there each year um in the summer and so still being involved in the region not having really had any experience in the city of jamestown but in the area and knowing like i really like this area i, I feel comfortable in this area i know people who live in jamestown because of the camp um, and I know people at UJ because of the camp um, to just all the way back to me being like really, really connected to the Greeno family, not just Mark and Rich, but um, but like many other Greenos and just feeling like between my connections with the area and the Greeno connection with Jamestown, um, I'm just really intrigued by this possibility. So um, a few years ago, the job was posted um, for a head track coach. Um, and I, I saw it and I was like, that's something I, you know, I'm kind of intrigued by, um, I didn't do anything about it. It wasn't good timing. I didn't, I didn't apply or anything. Um, and then when it came up again, last September, I, I had just gone to Crystal Springs camp with my family after having not gone for a long time, cause we were living in Texas. Um, I had gone there and I had like, felt like I, I kind of, um, I saw that this job was posted at one time. Maybe it'll be posted again. I'm just going to cruise through Jamestown, see what James sounds like. So I kind of went through there after camp before the job was even posted. Um, and I was like, now I have a feel for what, what James sounds like. The job pops up in September. It was head track coach though. Like it was, it was head men's coach and head women's coach. And I didn't even know what they wanted, but I knew that with, with coach Clark here being here for 45 years as head cross country coach, I'm like, I don't think I'm a good fit. This probably um isn't really for me but i am kind of intrigued in this position as i started to look into it and see how awesome of a training environment it is i'm, I'm like this is the facilities are becoming good for all event groups the training environment with trails and and for the team and and lifestyle just like it's a really good fit for my family and i like an outdoor recreation area and like a culture focused on outdoors and trails and it's a really unique place for this region in that it's not out west it's not in the hills black hills or something it's not in the mountains but it's like got 40 plus miles of trails and just like a culture of that um and races like ultra marathon trail races and bike races and all this stuff going on so i'm like really excited about that as i looked into it 
Um, I waited and sat on it for a few months. They weren't hiring anybody. Um, I wasn't hearing anything. I'm like, I don't know, like, is this, what's the deal? Like, no, no one's getting hired, but I am still kind of interested. Um, looking at the end of last fall, I was like, I think that the timing's never going to be good for leaving the team and the timing's never going to be good for my family, but I feel like I'm, I'm like really open to this. And I guess something I didn't mention, obviously, like, um, I was looking to potentially get back near family. My, I'm from Sioux Falls and my family still lives there. My wife's from Philly, so we're not by her family. We have four little kids and it's a lot being away from all families. So we're like always like open to possibilities of like getting back closer to family. Um, so, so that's another huge thing for us. And I'm like, this, this would be a decent time. My kids are pretty young still. We could make the transition and then kind of more settle in, in this region. So, um, it, the job again, it was like posted on the website as head men's track coach, head women's track coach. I'm like, I'm a distance coach. I, I, want to come in if i'm going to come in i want to be the, just the cross country and track coach i want to be the director coach clark's a legendary coach here i don't want to like step on any toes but to be honest i'm like he's been here 45 years like he's probably kind of close to retirement like i'll just reach out to them and tell them what i'm looking at and and just talk to coach clark and see where he's at and and just like reach out to the ad and see if they're open to thinking about this position a little differently um, so I, I reached out and I talked to them about like, um, I'm not really interested in what you posted. I'm interested in combining everything. And, and I think what the program needs is a director to combine everything, um, to combine cross country and track and men's and women's and, and then hire some coaches underneath and, and just like not do this split program thing. This isn't really how most programs do it anymore. I don't feel like it's probably the best way for us to thrive. They had so much turnover um, the last however many years on head track coaches. And I think a lot of that's because of the there wasn't congruity, um, congruency between the cross country and track program and men's and women's and all this. So I came for a visit and um, it was a pretty special place and a special visit. And I, I there was a lot that made me excited about it. Um, and at the end of the day, they um, I had a good conversation with Coach Clark and and we came to an agreement on what it would look like to coach the distance runners here and how we could work together there and how he could kind of transition um, to a different role, which I guess he had done in the past. He had been women's only cross country coach. Then um, for a little bit of time in the early 2000s, he kind of took a step back and um, and wasn't distance coach really. He was just helping out for a little bit. And then he took over both. And so he had, he was willing to like move around in the program and help in different ways. And um, so they bought into the vision I had of combining the programs and they offered me. And um, I felt like the fairest compromise was like, I'm like, I don't want to leave the team high and dry here. I can you guys hold on a little longer? Can I at least wait till in between indoor and outdoor? Um, so maybe we can like get, I can get the um, ACU distance runners. Cause I didn't have any coach. There was no other distance coach. ACU it was just me. There was no one else that could step into that. I'm like, maybe we can get them through the outdoor then. And then if you guys could just wait here and, and figure things out, then um, then maybe that's the best we can do. And it wasn't ideal on either end, but we made it happen. And I started March 1st and Connor, I hired Connor as associate head track coach and he started just before me. Um, and it was crazy for us here last spring. And it was kind of crazy back at ACU because they um, piecing things together because they didn't have a distance coach. And, but um, that was 
that was wild, but then we got into summer and now we're kind of in a good rhythm and um, I'm, ex I'm happy to be here and it's been a great experience so far and it's well supported and um, I'm excited and there's a lot of excitement building in the program and, and my big push is to change whatever reputation people have at Jamestown. I wanted to just like pummel them with, with the University of Jamestown on social media and like in person and just and recruiting and just like all ways we could do it and be creative on marketing and whatever, just to like, we're here and we're going to do things differently and, um, and build excitement for the program cross country and track. And, um, and so we've just been working really hard and just pushing things out in as creative a way of, as we can to like, um, get people to see us and be excited about us so that we could have conversations with recruits and so that we could get the alumni excited and get the, um, campus excited and um and i think we're in a really good place with that and and i am excited about how the cross-country season started and we're trying to use cross-country as a springboard to to get the track team excited too and like we're it's all going to be different and we're going to have really high expectations and we're gonna um it, i came in last year and i told them like it's it's going to be hard for you guys because i'm gonna i'm gonna give you really big expectations and and some of you aren't gonna fit well with that i didn't recruit you and, and we'll have this transitionary period and, and transitional period. And, but we're going to quickly move on this and we're going to change things. And we're going to, um, we're supported enough here, I think, to do big things. And we're going to, we're going to try to build this as quickly as possible and do it the right way and start to develop people and develop all the event groups. And, and so we're rolling now. Yeah, I've seen I've seen the stuff that you've been putting out on social media and it's it's for sure gotten me excited. I mean, I I just love North Dakota and um I love seeing all the unique uh, training places that the state has to offer and you know and Jamestown is for for most people in the state, I think Jamestown is just a nice place to drive through on your way to Bismarck. That's the um, buffalo beard and that's it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. But uh uh I think people get maybe I don't know if afraid, but it's kind of that size. It's like not not quite a small town, but it's not a big city, so people don't really, you know, unless they're shown what it has to offer, they're not going to really think of it as a place to to grow or develop or or really have, have some great opportunity. Uh, I want you to give Ryan and I kind of the quick uh, recruiting pitch. If in some great hypothetical world, we still had some eligibility, uh, mm -hmm. give us, give us the recruiting pitch. Yeah. So I think that I'll, I'll start by saying that's a bit multifaceted because um, I came in and, and the way that I've seen, I've been around, at Liberty and at South Dakota State and other places that I've been around, um, I've been around some really good track and field programs and also distance programs and ones that combine that and really good programs that are successful in both cross country and distance running and track and field. Um, don't pretend that everyone's the same and don't pretend that everyone should go to the same meets and everyone should train together and everyone should have the same practice times and, and all the uh, um, event groups should do things the same way. So um, from the feel that I got coming in, um, the program had been really small and they had been kind of operating as like 
one team. And as much as I want us to have unity and want us to come together, like I talked about before, um, it's very important for recruits. And it's very important that people out there that like, if we have experts as coaches, if we're able to have a full staff, like we do, if we have experts in each of our event areas, then it doesn't do, it doesn't do us any good to have things be too general to what we put out there and have things be too general for recruits. Um, I want us to just take our passion as a coach and run with it. So like, yeah, I'm passionate about being a director and I'm passionate about the cross country and track and field program, but I coach the distance runners. I coach the middle distance and the distance runners in cross country and um, Connor Salisbury coaches the the jumps and some pole vault and, and some multis and things. And then our sprints coach, Sam Clute, coaches the sprinters and we have hurdlers in there and our throws coach is passionate, passionate about throws and coaches throwers. And um, so I wanted to really change how we were recruiting and there wasn't it didn't seem like there was a, there was a lot of like, just everyone's just kind of talking to everyone. And we have this really general presentation. And um, so I wanted to say like, you guys dig in to your passion. Don't, don't get rid of your passion to go recruit sprinters as a, if you're passionate about pole vault, go find other pole vaulters who are passionate, express that passion to them, talk the talk with them, get into the nuts and bolts and convince them that way. Um, because we can, because we're blessed and a lot of programs around this region are not blessed with a complete staff to be able to hit all these event areas. Um, so I have some things that I, that are very important to me, um, in, in our pitch to recruiting. So some of those common threads, um, are like our program and our culture and things are, are built and our, our school is kind of built on a, on a Christian foundation and Christian principles. So we want people that are, um, they don't have to be in any certain place in faith, but they um, need to at least be open to, to hearing about those things and thinking about those things and, and recognize that that's where I'm coming from as a coach and that I care about that and, and care about the holistic nature of coaching and helping people develop um, outside of being an athlete, outside of being a student, but being a person and and um, the spiritual nature of each of us and and hearing some of those things and being open to that, that's something that's a common thread. High expectations and uh, um, an expectation that everyone across all event groups is completely bought into um, doing the best we can do, developing well, um, being students of the sport, being passionate about what we do, um, seeing ourselves as a high-level program and having high expectations of ourselves and each other um, and having a really high lifestyle commitment and recognizing like this is not a place that we're setting up to bring people in to be half in sometimes and partying the other time like no like I, I I'm very it's very important to me as a culture builder and program builder to be just like really really honest and bold about where we're at push out people who are not feeling, um, who, are, who are not good fits for our program and find the people who are good fits. And so um, I'm not afraid about scaring away people who want to go be half in and who want to not, not buy into the lifestyle thing and who want to shoot themselves in the foot um, in what they do the 22, 23 hours outside of practice. Um, there are programs that don't care about culture 
there are programs that care about culture, but they're they're like, ah, if people want to do that, then then that's their loss. And, and but our program, it's it's a pretty high level commitment that I expect everyone to to buy into that. And and I will take care of you and we will all you'll get opportunities to get great coaching and to develop and to go to great meets and stuff, not based on the level you were in high school, just based on your commitment and your um your commitment to develop and your commitment to our culture and your fit for our culture and your how you hold yourself and how you love and serve your teammates and um and just being a good representation of our program so what's really exciting to be to me about leaving the d1 realm and coming here one of the exciting things was that like i have more freedom and flexibility to say like here's what we're about you're a good fit whatever level you're at in high school i don't care you're going to come develop here and we're going to be able to develop you and you have an opportunity here you can i i do put it right in there and i and i I give this in our recruiting materials to people um in that like if you want like high caliber expectations and coaching and the ability to develop and and opportunities like you're in a D1 program, but but maybe you don't have that opportunity in a D1 program, or maybe you do, but you'll have to wait around for a while to have that have the opportunity in a D1 program. Then like you can have that here. And and as an athlete, as a high school coach, uh, or sorry, as a high school athlete, when I was being recruited, um, I've talked about like my passion and my expectations for myself were really high, and I wanted to push myself and challenge myself. There were some good NAIA D2 programs that were recruiting me that were like, you could go D1, but like, you're not going to, you're not going to get, you're not going to get anywhere in D1. Like their pitch was like, you can come here and be an all American. If you go D1, no way, no chance you're going to do that. Like, that's not what we're doing here. Like I want people who want to go D1 in our program. I want people who, who say like, I fit really well with what you're doing at UJ. I see that you can provide a good coaching experience, a good facilities experience, good training environment. Um, I feel like I'm a better, I'm a better fit for your school than maybe a big state school. I'm a better fit for Jamestown than maybe I am for Fargo or Bismarck or whatever, Sioux Falls. Um, I want them to have that opportunity and to have that experience and not say like, oh man, if I don't go to NDSU or UND or or SCSU or something, if I don't go there, I can't have that experience. I can't have a D1 caliber experience. I want I want to say like, no, you can have that. You can be challenged in that way. You can be held up, held to those high standards. You can get to those meets if you get to that level. All those things, you can have that here. But we can do it in a different way. Um, and we can do that with people who don't fit those places for whatever reason. They don't fit that those places because they weren't fast enough in high school. They don't fit those places because the school's bigger than they want or the town's bigger than they want or whatever. Um, but then also at the same time, um, I'm not, I want to make it clear that I'm not just um, presenting our program to people that can't hack it at D1 or something. I also want to get those recruits. Um, and I also don't want to sell ourselves short and say like, oh, I'm not going to go after any recruit that would also look at NDSU or something. Um, I'm not delusional. I'm not going to get a bunch of those recruits and I'm not going to often convince someone to 
come to the University of Jamestown instead of going to Iowa State or something, but I'm not gonna I'm gonna try. Um, if I if I'm allowed to have the conversation with them, I'm not gonna say I'm not gonna be someone who I've been coaching at that level. I've coached those people. I've been around those people. Like I'm not scared of those people. I'm not scared of coaching those people. Um, and I, I I think we can give them a good experience, and I know we can develop them. And I know our other coaches can develop them and I'm challenging them and helping them to continue as they're young and stuff to continue to get education and experience to develop them well in the other event areas. Um, I, I want to not say like, I know we're this um, and I know that we're, I don't want to make excuses for like, we're at this level or whatever. And, and like, I'm, I don't want to present ourselves as like, I'm scared of a high level recruit or something. I, I want to say like, yes, um, this is not, this is not the highest level. This is not D1, but it is a high level still. And you'll still have a lot of opportunities. And as you guys know, our sport is, um, gives us a lot of freedom to compete against all kinds of schools um, and to compete individually against all kinds of people. And and we're not even limited by our division on the championship level. Like if someone grows and develops in our program, I want to make it very clear that if you get beyond NAIA or whatever, like if you get beyond that, if we can help you go to, you know, some, some major invitational that you need to go to, or if we can, if you qualify for us juniors or USAs or something, then we'll go there. Like um, I hope that like, I don't want to present a program that it's, you're going to just outgrow um and that you if you get really good we want we want to say like yeah you're going to develop in our program to a high level um and but we're not going to say like if you develop to a high level you're beyond us um i want to say that you're you're not going to outgrow our program we're going to make sure if we need to fundraise a bunch then our alums are going to take care of it if you're at that level so like we're going to do what we need to do to get you where you need to get and you're going to have a good experience at whatever level from you know a 530 high school guy miler to a 410 high school guy to the equivalents in female to the other event group equivalents we're gonna um give you what you need if we if you're a really good pole vaulter and we don't have the poles for you because we haven't had anyone at that level if you're developing to that level, then we'll get we'll get what we need to get to get you there implements or um equipment or meets or whatever it is so i that's a extremely long-winded not succinct version of what you asked me to give you that is not my mo i am going to say right now and and i've i've said this on other things and a lot of non-athletes if you don't get recruited by me you don't necessarily see this so i'm gonna say like i force everyone um who's a distance recruit to initially read a long email about what we're about what our school's about to follow up with like a an eight page recruiting brochure and, and look through a bunch of material because I want the type of person that cares enough to look through that. And I, I do want to weed some people out that it, like, I, I'm not afraid of scaring some people away with all that material. Um, I want people who care enough to, to read the stuff and to get excited about it. And I want to give, I want to give every athlete a really, really clear picture of who we are and not hold anything back. Um, whether that's in the early recruiting process, getting them to campus, giving them a long visit and experience a full official visit type situation and um, and say like, this is what we're about. You want it, you're going to be a great fit. You're going to have an awesome experience. You don't want it, 
I wish you the best of luck somewhere else. Like I, I really do. Like I want you to find someplace where you're a good fit. Um, I'm not going to hold anything back and um, you know, overall that's kind of what we're about. So. Great. You know, it doesn't have to be just a one sentence cause you can't sell a whole program and, in just a few sentences. So thank you for that answer. And I don't know, Cam, sign me up. I'm, if I had that extra eligibility. Yeah. Find me some eligibility and I'm there. I, I know I can go and go and go and you get me on something like this and it's like a freight train just got unleashed down the tracks, but that's, that's who I am. And that's what I hope will help us get recruits is just like myself when Connor gets going, I was in a recruiting meeting with Connor the other day with a pole vaulter and they just got, they just went crazy. Like they just went off and they were just talking him and, and the, and the kid and his dad, just like we're going and going and going about the nuts and bolts of pole vaulting, just talking it through um, and getting excited. And like that, at the end of the day, like that's what our program's about. A bunch of people who are really passionate about what they do and passionate about the culture that ties us together. But, but I don't want to, um, I told, I told the administration when we were in the process here that like, yes, I'm a distance coach in the past. They've had some multi coaches and things as like the head track coach and like, yeah, technically they can coach everything and stuff. But I'm like, I told them, I'm like, that is, if we have the staff to individualize our event groups with coaches, we're not giving the athletes the best experience. If I, yes, I can coach the sprinters. Like I have some knowledge of like, if you're, as a distance coach, like we have to have some knowledge of, um, of a variety of things because distance runners have to have little bits of a lot of different areas, but yeah. that's not going to benefit them. I'm going to be totally stretched thin if I'm recruiting outside of distance, if I'm trying to grow a really big program here and, and do well, if I'm, if, if multiple of us coaches are, are coaching three different event groups, like, yes, we can do that. We're not saying we can't do that. Like I could find a way to do that, but because I don't have to do that, you don't have to be afraid that I'm not a pole vault expert or a throws expert. Like I'm not going to pretend I am. Um, a, a distance coach has to be, or I mean, a director has to be something. Most directors specialize in something. Um, the reality is that like, I don't want to, I don't want to pretend that I'm not passionate about distance running just because I'm the director. And I don't want anyone to feel like I don't care about pole vaulting or I don't care about throws or I don't care about sprints because I'm really passionate about distance running. And I don't want the throws coach to get in trouble because their main passion is throws. And they don't know any if they don't know anything about about distance running, that's OK. Um, I would rather have them be an expert throws coach than be a mediocre throws coach and a mediocre and have mediocre distance knowledge. Like that's not going to help the athletes. And I try to find ways as a director to support all the event groups, but to recognize that like a really good, well-balanced program. And, and, and my job as a director is to support the staff really well. And what I told administration when I'm being hired, like, okay, this is the staff you're giving me. We're, we're taken care of. I'm good with this. Like I can support the staff to then support their athletes. And it's been a transitionary, it's transitional period um, of teaching the team, of kind of re-educating them. Like, this is how our program structure is gonna look. Like, if everything comes through me, I'm not gonna last long. I'm gonna be totally burnt out because we're trying to grow the size of our team to be much, much bigger. And it, this may work when you have 20 people on your team. But if we have 85 people on our team, 
the the numbers we want to push towards um we have to start laying a foundation in how this is going to work when we're big and from recruiting our specific event groups to coaching our specific event groups we can support each other without having all our hands in every pot um and i can know what's going on and i can support the vision and the goals of 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 a thrower um, without actually being out there on a day-to-day -day basis coaching them. Um, and so just making sure that like, it's an education about our sport too. And like the reality is some, I've learned some stuff um, being in this job about the culture right away. I got in and I like, I tried to get a really good feel for what's the culture of the state, even though I'm from South Dakota, there's not a lot of, there hasn't been enough crossover between South Dakota and North Dakota. It's becoming a little bit better. I feel like in the last few years, but there's been a lot of lack of, partnership and lack of knowledge between the two, I think. And um, both the culture of the state being a little different, but also the culture. I'm from Sioux Falls. So like I'm from double A, I'm from big, big school, big city, um, South Dakota, which is similar to the, you know, Fargo or whatever in, in North Dakota. Like I had to educate myself a bit on the culture of like a lot of our team, like small town, Minnesota, small town, North Dakota. What I've found is that like most of the kids coming into our program and probably a good chunk of the programs around here come from a high school program that is like everyone's doing everything. So I, I it was so weird to me, like almost every one of my event group kids also ran cross country. Like they're not cross country runners, but like they have a, they have a knowledge of it and they experienced it. So like it is an education of our sport at this level of like, OK, that's that's cool there. That's what you need to do. But we're trying to take things to the next level here. Um, we're trying to develop people well and develop high-level athletes and develop our, our best path forward as a good program cross-country and track is to have really good event groups um, and to one by one make each event group better, have a really good cross-country program, which makes our mid distance better, have a, have a good throws program and sprints program and jumps program. Um, and the way to do that is to specialize more and the way to do that is to like educate the athletes. And then sometimes it takes just like broader education with, with people around here, just like having conversations about like um, our sport is just so much different than everyone else. Like you, you cannot lump our sport in with anything else. There's no equivalent there that I can think of. Like there's, there's nothing like having really let's, let's just be more clear have more clarity on what our sport is track and field is a bunch of sports combined into one if i say a bunch of sports need to all go to the same meet every time or need to all use the same facilities or you need to all have the same practice time or you need to all have the same coaches that wouldn't that anyone of who coaches another sport would think that doesn't make any sense like you don't have the basketball coach coaching the soccer team and you also football is a great example like the, the offensive line, they have a ton of coaches for all these different specialized areas. The offensive line coach isn't coaching the quarterbacks. So like, and if you start to like tie in how people's knowledge of other sports that they do understand, light bulbs go off and they're like, oh yeah, that makes sense. Like, yeah, you're, you're a director. You're like, you're the head football coach or whatever, but like you have your specialty and you, you should probably like focus a lot on that. And the last thing as I'm going on this whole big thing about <laughs> event groups that I no, really good, want good. I really want to make clear and a reason why I I was excited about being a director and excited about being a director here is that like I am not going to um 
pretend that I have an agenda here with that I don't have an agenda here with cross country and track. Too many track programs. I've been around um, and known too many um, programs that don't treat cross country. Many schools don't treat cross country as a sport at all. They just it just gets forgotten and pushed to the side, or it's fall track or whatever. It doesn't even have a name, or no one pays attention to it. What we're trying to build here, what, one reason I want to be wanted to be the director is that cross country is equal to track. Like track and field is an amazing sport. I love track and field, but I love cross country too. They are both recognized separate sports. And in the fall, we're going to hype up cross country and cross country is going to be our sport here. We're all in on cross country. The fall people, the fall track people are, are doing their thing in training. They're getting ready for track. The track and field program, I want to support the cross country program because they're your teammates in track and field. But they're not, this isn't fall track. We're in cross country right now. If you look at what we're putting out, we're all playing on cross country. We want to make sure they those athletes get their fair recognition and get um, their fair um, chance to be in the limelight and, and the sport to be recognized as it should be. And then we transition out of fall and then we're all in on track and field. And I'm not, I don't continue to be the cross country coach then. Um, but right now, like we're doing the cross country thing and, and I want it to be a place where like, it matters how we perform in cross country and it matters how we perform in track and field and we can be good in both, but too many programs are like all distance, all in cross country. That's all we care about. We put track to the side. That's not important. Or we're all track and field. We don't care about the distance runners. We don't care about cross country. We really want to have balance in that we have both. And the reality though, is that if you want to have cross country, cross country's needs for program development are different than track and field's needs. It's the only event group in track and field that has a separate sport attached to it. And the sport of cross country relies on depth. So I've been in, involved in a lot of programs where it's like they treat the distance runners as though like, oh, you can just get by with a few elite guys, which you can do in other event groups because you can you can just score your points. You have your top people, they score their points. In cross country, we're sunk if we don't develop depth. And that also has a huge positive effect on our track team because we can cover, you know, 800 to 10K or 400 even um, at a lot, a lot of cases with those midi guys. Um, so we want to develop something that takes that into account that like, yeah, I am pumping cross country recruiting right now because we need to get our numbers up. And that's that's my area of recruiting. But yeah, we're going to build we're going to build the cross country program to be the biggest numbers on our team not because we care more about that, but because there's a different need. A, there's a different need and and way we have to go about things to have a successful cross-country team. We need that depth. And there's a lot of event groups that rely on those kids in track. We have to cover a lot of different event groups. And B, um, we can handle more in distance. Um, it, the more technical the event gets, the less people I want our coaches to have to coach. So if we have numbers we need to hit for our track and field team, I'm like, I'll take that on. I'm used to coaching a lot of distance runners on my own. Um, we can build the numbers in large part in the distance group because I can handle that and our facilities can handle that. But if we go and just like load up the other event groups and I'm like, oh, you other coaches, you just do all the recruiting and I'll just keep the distance group small, then we don't meet either need that I'm talking about here and we get overwhelmed on our facilities. And um, coming into this winter, with the bubble we're putting up over the turf field, we just 
we're on it. We're going to be on another level with the distance runners. I can separate the distance runners. We can run on turf all winter. We can put a big loop in there. We're, we're getting what we need. We're staying healthy. We're getting what we need for training, but also we, we just got rid of the whole mess that the distance runners create in the indoor track. Um, when the in, when the distance runners are in the indoor track facility, even when the distance runners are on the outdoor track facility, from my experience in the past, if we're there at the same time as other event groups, it's a total mess. Like we, we need the inside lanes for a lot of what we're doing and we just take over the whole thing. And if you have a huge group, um, it's a big mess. So like now we have the facilities that we can give everyone what they need. And I'm really excited about that. So. Yeah, no. And that's super important for that development piece that you talked about and tapping into those passions. Uh, as we round out the episode here, just tell us a little bit about uh, the team right now. Give us a snapshot of how the first meet down in Augie went and uh, what you guys are looking forward to here. Yeah, uh, I'm really excited about where the team, at, team is at right now. I was excited coming in. Um, and I think we had, we laid a pretty good foundation at Augie and they, they ran pretty close to what I expected. Um, so our women PR'd across the board because they got to run a 5k, which is they're typically used to running in high school or in, um, or in college in the past, the rest of the women's races will be 6k. Now that NAI has went to 6k, um, they, in the past, mostly had 5k. So this is really our only chance for like the high school girls coming in which is most of our team are freshmen on the women's side and then um for the returners to compare to the past now we're going to move forward in 6k and outside of griac that they do a lot of times like they don't have much to compare to in 6k conversely on the men's side they start with the four mile they hadn't been running augie twilight so they had nothing to compare to on the four mile um but what we saw was super good so uh, yeah on the women's side the prs but also um, for our women's 5k team average, even though it was our meet opener and we should develop as the year goes on and continue to gain fitness, that was our fastest team average since 2018. So, um, it was a really good start. We're on a really good place. And we had, um, five freshmen and a sophomore and a junior running, um, that meet and the, the team as a whole is about eight freshmen and, and those two returners for the women. So we have a really good foundation for the future stack recruiting onto that and and we have a lot to build on um and then the men's side we have a little bit older group um but we're we're looking really good stepping into that first 8k so um our number one was a guy that i brought in as a grad transfer ga from acu that i had coached for four years at acu um so i was able to bring him in and, and that's pretty cool to keep working with him um and then I quickly got on recruiting and got who I could. I knew we needed some guys, especially last spring. It was it's tough coming in in March and trying to get anything done in recruiting, but um, I was able to to pull in a couple guys who are really going to be pretty good impact guys for us right away. And Cole Campbell from Kindred, and then um, Clark Lurcher from Sioux Falls Lincoln, and those are probably my two big pipeline schools. Um, so. It's pretty awesome to get people in from them right away. I'm recruiting a bunch of kindred people right now. I'm going to keep pumping Sioux Falls Lincoln people. I know, Cam, you mentioned liking kindred on the last episode, so that was cool. Josh Roberts, I don't know if you guys know, but Josh Roberts, the coach there, coached at UJ. That's the connection in early 2000. So it's, we get, we have a bunch of kindred people coming on visits. We're going to keep rolling with that. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. I, I do have a little bit of a reputation as kind of a kindred homer, I guess you could say. So I guess I'm going to, it's going to turn into a, 
a UJ, you know, huge UJ fan now, I guess. So awesome. Awesome. So yeah, Cole is like, he just thrived on the training in the summer. Like he just really took off. He nailed, he nailed the training, super consistent, took a big leap. Both him and Clark um, PR through 5k during that four miles. So we were in a really good place with them. Um, every guy, the rest of the guys who had run 8k, um, were on pace to run big 8k PR. So, um, basically looking at stats, UJ men have had no one break here. Let me, let me give the actual number here. So, um, since 2018, so the fastest time by a UJ guy since 2018 was 2805. Um, in the AK, it was. It's been since 2018. No one, ha- not one guy, has broken 28 in the AK, and we're on pace to have five to seven guys under under 28, but maybe under 27. Um, so like we're we're looking to just blow the thing out of the water, um, keep going with um, with uh, just big jump in the program. Um, we last year, and actually the last like three or four years, we pretty much have finished. Um, tenth out of eleven at GPAC, and we beat six GPAC schools at um, the Augie Twilight for the guys. Um, so we're like, we're just trying to like. In my recruiting pitches, you know, it's it's hard to to really turn a program around quickly because you have to um, sell people on the vision for the future um, and where we're going to be. So it's pretty cool to come in, and it really is important to us that we kind of come in fit and come in and just not that our training is geared towards these early season meets they're not they're just doing good training so they're fit um they're geared towards the end of the year but we can come in and and just blow past teams out of the water then it's good for um to show the recruits we're currently recruiting like okay there's some data to support what what we're being told in recruiting and and there's no reason to believe that we um won't take a big leap forward and we are already taking big leaps forward on both sides. And the, the goal is for both sides to be really good. And the track team is looking really good. We have some good people coming in and we have um, a better setup for fall training than we've had in the past. And we have a lot of really um, bought in excited people for fall training. Um, and, and we're really trying to use this like excitement and momentum on the cross country side, this big jump we're making and going to make to be like, we can do the same thing in track and field across event groups. Um, and that's that's kind of the push there. We also have, are doing something different than we've done in the past. Everyone who's training hard in the fall for the off-season training, as well as the the distance runners after their fall cross-country season, we're going to hit the early season South Dakota State meet in early December um, and just give something, give them something good to shoot for for the fall fall training group, and as well as the distance runners to, to kick off. Um, indoor season, the ones who are feeling good after cross country. So um, on all fronts, we're, we're really excited and we're just trying to keep that momentum going. Yeah, man, that's great. We're super excited that someone so passionate's taken over the program and that you're really injecting some life into it and already seeing results. That's, that's really cool. Uh, normally we have kind of a wrap up. We usually ask you to give some advice to to other runners and you've been doing that the whole episode. So instead we're going to end with some fan submitted questions here. Uh, first one is who would win uh, in prime fitness in a 400 you or LeBron? Oh, that, that would be close. I think that would be close. Um, 
I would say in peak fitness, I to my my issue here is my knowledge of what LeBron could do in a 400. I think it'd be close. I think in peak fitness, I would probably probably have been able to drop like based on some some things I did in practice or whatever, like maybe 51 point um, in the 400. So I think that that would give LeBron a run for his money. Um, I think it would be a, a darn close race. So um, I don't know what he's capable of, but I think it would be I think it'd be a close race. Okay, second question. I'm supposed to ask about traveling to the Southland Conference 2021. That sounds yes. like a good story. Yes. So um, that was, I guess that would be considered the makeup COVID one. So it was 2020, but it happened in 2021. Um, I'm sure what, what we're talking about here is our travel to um, Louisiana, like so you guys are probably familiar. Most people were about like the the massive Texas storm and Louisiana storms, like winter storms that happened around that time, mm-hmm. shut down power, all that stuff. So uh, we already have COVID. We got cross country conference. The, our, our conference decided to still host cross country conference, but we decided to host it a week before, I think it was a week before indoor conference. Uh, we decided to have both cross country conference and indoor conference for the Southland. And it was in um, Louisiana. They got, Texas got hit with a huge storm. Um, Louisiana got hit with a huge storm. Power was out. Water was out. We like, we're figuring out if we could even get there. Um, we're like, we, we just got to get there. One of the reasons we had to get there is because um, our top female, Irene Rono, um, based on how COVID changed the cross country nationals qualifying. And I was pretty positive she could win conference and her, her path to nationals cross country was to win conference that year um, which is different than typical usually making it regionals but there wasn't regionals so like we gotta find a way to get there um it was it was looking pretty rough um for getting there um they had to change the course like three times um because it kept getting flooded and they ended up moving it to a road race loop it was a flat on campus like mile loop road race which um i know i'm getting way off track here but like this was the era when some we had the haves and the have-nots with super shoes yes. so like we get there and some teams showed up and everyone's got like vapor flies on some people showed up in everyone's super shoes we had nothing we barely had flats we had to like go try to like find some flats for people somewhere because we didn't even have flats for him for them to run on the roads um and we did we prepare for cross country based on grass and dirt training so we don't do anything on the roads we're like totally unprepared for this thing um but we're like we're gonna get there and see what we can do um, so I decide that we we had we looked at our options, flights, bus, whatever. We're like, buses wouldn't, wouldn't take us. Um, they thought it was like too risky, whatever, too dangerous. So like we're, I'm talking to the AD and stuff like, how can we do this safely? Fortunately, maybe it could have been unfortunate, but we survived. They let, they gave me permission to like load up a 15 passenger van, just me and the team. So like we're taking seven and seven and me um, in a 15 passenger van through a snow and and whatever storm in both um, Texas and Louisiana, I'm like, I got this. I'm from South Dakota. I can handle winter driving. We'll be okay. Um, Louisiana was the worst, the worst, some of the worst driving I've ever done, including South Dakota or Minnesota or whatever. Um, we're on like these back highway roads that are narrow and windy and uphill and it's sloppy and snow everywhere and not cleared. And it just a harrowing trip. Like we, it takes us forever. Like, 
places didn't even have water along the way when we stopped. Lots of places weren't even open. We had to just like eat at a grocery store because it was the only thing open on the way at this town in Louisiana. So like we're pressing, we're pressing to get there. We're like, I don't even know if we're going to make it there. We get there in the dark. Every other team had gotten to the course like five hours before, done the pre-meet stuff, packet pickup. I had to meet the coach there in the dark at like 10 p.m. That's when we get to the course um, for the, our course run through. Um, and so like we do a little a little run through the course in the dark at 10 p.m. We go to sleep and we have to meet the next morning. Um, so we were like driving two days straight, like white knuckling it. And we get there with like just the worst, you know, that's the worst kind of like travel you want to have before um, a conference meet. Like you, you're, you don't shake out really at all. You're like pretty tight from things. And anyway, we hop out. Um, we, we survive. We make it through. Um, I, I just, you know, the, the team, I would say, I think they're pretty impressed. And, and I, by my driving. And I, I, I talked a big game, like I could do this, like I'm used to snow. If anyone can do this, I can do this. I got us through. Um, there were a couple of moments that were a little scary, but <laughs> we made it through. We got there. Irene won on the women's side. She made it to nationals. And um, so we accomplished that goal. Um, and yeah, it was it was a crazy trip, but it was a crazy winter um, um, that winter and, and adding COVID and it made it even crazier. But yeah, that's that story. So <laughs> the last one I have to ask, just because it sounds like another crazy story. Uh, I'm supposed to ask if you've ever had an athlete fall asleep while running. I have, but unfortunately I kind of vaguely remember. Um, I know this happened and I'm sure people that had this happen to them or a teammate are the ones asking this, but um, I I don't remember the details, but I do know that happened. <laughs> like it, I'll, I'll say that in Texas, um, people don't understand this. Here's a culture thing that goes along with that. In Texas, like you're at, at minimum all fall, but last year, all spring, I decided as well, you're like five to 6 a.m. practice every day. Um, so obviously that that's pretty challenging for distance runners. Um, it's pretty ch challenging for college kids, um, but it is what it is. It's very, very hot <laughs> there. Um, and we, to get good training in, it's like if we want to really get consistent, good training and recover, um, people got to get to bed super early and we got to wake up super early. People would hit those times when they did get super tired. And I, I know that did happen, but unfortunately I'm blanking on all the details. <laughs> that falling is, I just, man, you gotta be super tired to fall asleep <laughs> while you're running. Or I think it was that. one of the girls on the team. That's the only thing I can kind of remember. Oh. <laughs> That's all right. We'll, we'll go to our sources and try to get some more details, but uh, Jarvis it is such a pleasure to have you on. Like I said, it's so great to see somebody at UJ that's really just bringing the program back to where it deserves to be. And it sounds like you are the man to do the job. So thank you so much for hopping on and, uh, hey, we'll be sure as, as the season keeps going, we'll be sure to get you back on, get some updates. Sounds awesome. I, it was my pleasure talking to you guys. I know I can be very long winded. So hopefully somebody sticks along for the ride and, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs>